Welcome to Rock Harbor Church's channel on Sermon Audio. We hope this message is a blessing to you and helps you in your daily walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So please, settle in and grab your Bibles. Here's Pastor Brandon with this message. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to come together. We thank you for all the things you're doing in our church's life. We pray that you continue to guide us and bless us as we do these endeavors to be able to uh, deal with the culture. And Father, as we study now, help us to understand how to increase faith so that we can be more active in service to you. We pray now in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, one of the things that we're talking about then is faith and how Paul was able to survive trials. And last week, I left off with the ideas of what can hamper your faith and what causes problems in your faith. And we talked a lot about what happened early on in your life. Uh, any pain that you might have uh, come into, any disillusionment that you might have had, uh, trauma that comes in your life, all those things have an impact on your faith in God. They first have an impact on your faith in your parents and then anyone beyond that, and then it translates to God. So that's why thou shalt honor your father and mother undergirds the the four commandments uh, that relate to God. Because the, 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 the fifth commandment, thou shalt honor your father and mother. If you can't figure that one out, then you can't figure out how to honor God. Because you will learn first how to honor the authority of your parents first. And, it, and it, that's why that, pass, sorry, that, that command undergirds commandment one, two, three, and four. And then, like I said, covetousness undergirds uh, six, seven, eight, nine. That's how they're held together. So a child, or maybe yourself, if you can think back in your own life, you know, what kind of authority uh, uh, you know, were your parents? Were they good authority, bad authority, a mixture? I don't know. And it's not to knock our parents, not to blame our parents, because no one's perfect, and I'm not saying anyone had perfect parents. But it does affect your relationship with God and how you dealt with your mom and dad. Now, too many people tell me they had terrible relationships with mom and dad. I mean, horrible relationships. They didn't have a relationship. Uh, the parents weren't there. They were inaccessible. They, or the parents actually did bad things to them. Okay? And, and that's very common. It's actually more common than you think. And so that definitely messes up people's ability to trust others and their ability to trust God. So what I'm saying is you have to consider that if you're struggling in an area with faith in God, you have to say, what is that area? And see if any of that relates back to how you were raised, okay? Well, people have fear of abandonment. I fear God's gonna abandon me, really. So you don't believe that he says, I never uh, will leave you or forsake you. And they say, no, because all through my life, I've been abandoned. And so they, they have a hard time transferring that trust to God. Or uh, they, they had unrealistic expectations about God, that God would rescue them from bad situations. And he didn't. And so, you know, um, they don't trust their authority and they don't trust God's authority because they don't think God's protective enough. Okay? So those kinds of things you have to flush through. And, and I talked a little bit about that. So here's the key then. How do I increase my faith in areas of distrust? It's not like I don't believe in Jesus. I do. You're saved. I'm saved. 
Um, but it, it, it's, it's these other pockets that I don't trust them with my finances. I don't trust them in me doing things. I don't, I, I, you know, believe it or not, people say they live by faith, but they actually don't. If you watch people how they live, they won't make a move until every T is crossed and every I is dotted. That person is impossible to work with, by the way, in ministry. Because ministry doesn't function like that. Ministry functions with an element of faith attached to some evidence. Some evidence, not 100% evidence. So in a lot of things in ministry, you have enough evidence. Maybe it's 50% evidence. Maybe it's 75% evidence. I don't know. But there's always going to be a missing element that you're going to have to say, you're going to have to take God in faith on that one and just walk out and just do it. But if you live your life that every T needs to be uh, crossed and every I dotted, that is not by faith. You're living by sight. And people think they're living by faith, but they're not. So they've had uh, plenty of people like that. I've run across many, many people like that. And it's too bad. I feel sorry for them. They're more to be pitied than scolded in a lot of ways because it's like, boy, what a depressing life you live. There's no adventure. There's no risk. Um, there's, there's, there's nothing on your table that has that. I, I, here's the thing, and I, I put a point on here, and I'll get to it, but let me make the point. People want to enjoy the results of faith without exercising faith. They want the results that faith gives, but they don't want to exercise it. That's a constant. So we have to learn how to take a risk without knowing all the facts, without having everything together. So I want to show you a story of this situation. And it's a famous story that you probably recognize, but it, it tells the story of us. It tells the story of Israel. And uh, the story is uh, about a son that has a demon inside of him. Okay? And this demon is a deaf and mute demon. And uh, what happens is the apostles cannot exercise the demon out of the person in the formula they were used to using. And the formula was this, in the name of Jesus Christ, leave this person. That formula didn't work, okay, in this situation. And, and many times, if, just to segue into demonism, many times you will encounter someone that's demon-possessed or maybe demon-oppressed or whatever, and the formula of leave in the name of Jesus Christ doesn't work. Ah, then you're dealing with a different kind of demon, the kind of demon that's here. Okay, so if the formula doesn't work, leave in the name of Jesus Christ, you're dealing with a different kind of demon. You're dealing with a deaf and mute demon. And that's what we have here. Then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. Well, it's really, it's deaf and a mute, okay? This is different. Uh, demons, as you know, are uh, spirits of fallen Nephilim, okay? So they're not, they're not fallen angels. They're fallen Nephilim, the spirits of fallen Nephilim, and they want to inhabit. They want to possess 
bodies, okay? So this is what we got here, a demon possession by a fallen Nephilim that's been in this boy. Now, you might say, how did he get in the boy? It doesn't ever say, but it does give you another clue into demonology that they went after the boy and they, they possessed the boy at a very young age. People ask, why does that happen to children? It's because somebody around them has opened the door. That's why. Something's happened. Someone has opened the door. So let me give you the background on this. The background on this on a deaf and mute demon is even the Pharisees couldn't exercise demons out. They had their own formula and their formula worked. And they could exercise demons. They had that power um, as, as Pharisees and religious leaders and they probably used the formula in the name of Yahweh to exercise the demons out. Okay. But when they came to a deaf and mute demon, the Pharisees couldn't do it. And so what the Pharisees started saying is, look, we can't do it, but when Messiah shows up, he will be able to exercise a deaf and mute demon out of people. And hence, that miracle of exercising a deaf and mute demon actually became a messianic miracle. And there were three of them. Uh, cure, of, cure people of leprosy, heal of blindness, and exercise a deaf and mute demon. Those were the three signs and the, that the Pharisees said that when you see a person doing those three things, then that's the Messiah. And of course, he did them and didn't believe, right? He did it and didn't believe, but contradicted their own you know, religion. But anyway, that's what we have here. So we have a messianic miracle that's gonna happen, but it's a lesson on faith. So... Um, and then the, 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 the father says about him, and wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So it's affecting him spiritually in this possession. It's, it's trying to kill him, actually. It's doing all kinds of crazy things. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. And why couldn't they? Because they're using the wrong formula. The, the formula in Jesus' name, leave, is not going to work on a deaf and mute demon. Okay? It's not going to work. Why? Why doesn't it work on a deaf and mute demon? If I use the formula in Jesus' name, leave. He can't hear. He's deaf. So the Nephilim was, uh, was apparently deaf and dumb in his life and in his spirit, he's deaf and dumb, but he can possess. So then to the formula of talking to the demon and what, what would be the extraction? The way the Pharisees did it is they would say, what is your name? That would be the first formula way of getting it. What is your name and what, how did you gain entrance? You first ascertain the name of the demon. That's how, the, that's how Pharisees worked. And he ascertained it in the name of Yahweh, leave this person. And that's how they did it. And they were, they were successful. And the same is true in, in, in us. If we can use the formula in Jesus' name, leave. But if it doesn't work, you're dealing with a deaf demon. And then the demon will make the person deaf and mute. So they can't respond to you and can't hear you. So how are you going to use the formula? You can't. You can't. You better figure out another way. 
And that's why the Pharisees were stumped. They're like, I don't know what to do. That's right, you don't know what to do. So they punted and said, well, when Jesus, not Jesus, when Messiah comes, then he'll be able to tell us and show us how to do that. Well, here he is. He answered and said, O faithless generation. So who is he referring to? The mob, the the crowds, and and the Pharisees, and the religious leaders. Why why are they like that? Why why does he call, he he now calls them a faithless generation. They don't possess faith. Yeah, they don't believe in the Messiah. So they're a faithless generation. They have rejected the Messiah already by this point in time, the religious leaders. So he calls them a faithless generation. This generation will be the one punished by 70 AD for their lack of faith in the Messiah, right? So again, it comes back to the principle that I said. They wanted the results of faith, but they don't want to exercise it. And they definitely didn't want to exercise it with Jesus. And then he says, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? How how long am I tolerant? Well, I can tell you how much it is. It's 40 years after this, basically. From the resurrection to AD 70 is 40 years. He dies in AD 30, resurrects in AD 30. And from AD 30 to AD 70, you have 40 years. He's willing to give Israel a time to get their act straight before the unpardonable sin comes in. So he continues on. Well, let me give you the prince before he goes on. What you're seeing is without faith, we are deaf, which basically means we cannot understand the things of God, and we are mute. We We cannot confess with our mouths, publicly identify with the Messiah. That's what faith does for you. Faith helps you understand the Lord. Faith gives you the courage to confess Jesus publicly and to identify with the Messiah. So the deaf and mute demon inside the boy represents Israel. It's a real thing that's happening, but it's a picture of Israel. Israel, because of their lack of faith, doesn't understand and will not confess Jesus as the Messiah. But then that's the principle for you and I. When you lack faith, you won't understand. You wanna understand the things of God and the ways of God, it takes faith. You have to believe in what he says because it's gonna go against your conventional wisdom. It's not going to make sense. What do you mean, Brandon, start a school when we're in the middle of a building program? Conventionally, it doesn't make sense, but that's what he told me to do. So what am I supposed to do? I just got to do it. I just got to do it. And I don't know how it's all going to come together, but it is. But there's a lot of gaps I don't know. Are you okay with the gaps? You have to be okay with the gaps in your knowledge. If you're the kind of person who says, no, I need to be told everything before I begin. Forget it, man. That is not Christianity. That's not how it works. You have to be okay with the gaps, okay? Otherwise, if you don't accept the gaps, you won't understand. 
That's why people are to be pitied when they don't operate in faith and they're crossing T's and dotting I's because they will never understand. They don't understand the walk of faith. They think it's that oh, I believe in Jesus and then that's it. And that's, that's terrible as far as their, their sanctification is concerned because they never grow. Great, they got their fire insurance, they got saved, that's wonderful. But from that point on, there's nothing going on in their life. And that's, that's terrible that they live their life like that. It's horrible, it's not the way to live. You're not experiencing the abundant life. You're not, you would nev- you'll never see the miracles unless you walk out in faith. I've seen literal miracles happen because I stepped out in faith with the church and did things I couldn't believe happened. I've seen things happen that I never saw. I can tell you this, my first part of ministry, I didn't walk in faith, I walked in sight. I didn't see any miracles until I started the church. Then I saw miracles, but why? Because I had to step out in faith. But what did that cost me? It cost me the sacrifice of I couldn't sleep at night, I couldn't eat, I couldn't, uh, I, I, I couldn't rest, I couldn't, I couldn't, it made me sick to my stomach to think and think about attempting something like this. So you have to be willing to pay the cost. You have to be willing to make the sacrifice of faith in order to see the miracles. Not, you're not gonna ever see them, not in your life. You'll hear about them, you'll hear about from others, but you'll never experience them in your own life. And that's sad. That's really sad. You need to see God at work. You should see God at work. But if you don't have faith, you won't understand anything that's happening to you. You just don't get it. That's what Israel looks like. They're nothing but a demon-possessed boy that can't hear and can't speak. That's what he's saying about them. Now, here's the thing. This is coming on the heels of his rejection remember. And he says, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So they, what is he saying? You must believe in the sign of Jonah because I'm not giving you any more, any more other signs. So what does that mean? Well, in the terms of faith, people They say they want to know the will of God for their lives, and that's great, but they demand a sign. They want confirmation, and I understand that's a human idea. You want to throw out the fleece, uh, you know, like uh, Gideon did, and, you know, see if the Lord answers that way. That's not the right methodology, because what happens is people want confirmation, and God doesn't give it to them. Do you know why? because they won't accept the the previous signs he already gave to them. They refuse to acknowledge the signs already already that he gave them, so why would you think he's gonna give you another sign to move forward when you don't believe the signs already here? So that's what he is saying to Israel. No sign will be given to you except the sign of Jonah. I've already given you the messianic signs. I've already raised people uh, from uh, you know, uh, being lame. I've, I've cured leprosy. I've cured blindness. I've cured a deaf and mute demon. I'm not giving you any more. You need to accept those signs before you move on. And then the other sign that I'll leave you is the sign of Jonah. And if you don't believe that, then there's no hope for you. So when you look at your own life, Like, where is God taking you? What are the signs he's already given you? 
What has he said? Are you ignoring those signs? Because maybe those signs don't look good. I don't know. But he's not going to give you another confirmation until you accept the previous confirmations. That's how you grow in your faith. Accept what he's already told you. And you may not like it. You may not like it. I, I can tell you this, about 50% of the, well, no, more than that, probably about 75 to 80% of the time, I don't like it. I just don't like it. I'm like, oh, man, that's going to be more work. That's all I think about, man. That's just going to, we're going to have to do this, and that means I have to do this, and that means I'm going to have to do this. And I'm like, man, I understand now when they put on graves, R.I.P., rest in peace. I get that now. Um, and I'm like, I, I, that's going to cost me, I, I got to do more sacrifice on that. And that's going to cost me here and that's going to cost me there. So I count the cost and I know, well, I got to do it. But I, I'm not, I'm not uh, uh, devoid of, of my own struggle. It's stinking hard. And I don't like it most times. It, it, it angers me sometimes because I'm like, man, um, I just gave an ounce of blood here, man, and a pound of blood there, and um, well, I need more, I, well, I need more of you. I need more of you. You haven't, and then I always, you know, get the, the passage in my head, you haven't, you haven't given anything to the point of shedding your blood, so shut up and get on with the program. So I hear that in my head, you know, and that's always brings me back to reality because you'll pitch a fit and you go into protest. I, 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 I do it. And sometimes when you go in the process, I, it's, it's, I know in my mind I'll get on board, but I got a little, a little time of protest. And so I just kind of pull off to myself and I have my own protest party and I invite my protest friends. And uh, I get it, man. I get it because I'm like, oh, it's going to take so much more faith that I don't have right now. And uh, sometimes I, it takes me a, like two, the last protest I went through is about three days. It took me about three days to get over. And um, I, I, so I'm, I'm telling you, it's not easy. But I already know in the back of my mind, okay, I'll get on board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but I also know that that's the only way I'm going to see God's work. I can choose to protest and not do it, and then I'm not going to see anything. I won't see miraculous things happen. And I, 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 don't, I don't know if I want to live that way. I don't know if I want to look at myself in the mirror and saying, you're missing out because you're afraid, because you won't sacrifice, because you won't, ex you won't, you won't build your character high enough to extend more faith. I don't want to be that guy. Even though I protest and I get mad and I struggle, um, I want to see all the glory. When, when Moses says, show me your glory, that's a sacrifice to see the glory. Let's go back to the story. Bring him to me. Then he brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So this, this demon obviously knows he's in the presence of God. Okay? Jesus is there. And this demon is reacting violently around him. And that's what happens when demons get around the saints or anything biblical or whatever. They, they go crazy. They, they don't like it, okay? 
Uh, one demon-possessed person I knew wouldn't come into the church because it just made her crazy. So she stayed outside, and she couldn't come in the church. It just made her crazy. And they can't. St- they also, I noticed, they can't stand the smell of the Bible for some reason. So like, like when you open the Bible, they can smell it. And I said, well, what does it smell like? She goes, it smells like death. Yeah. For those who are perishing, it is death. For those who are perishing, it is death. No wonder you smell the stench of death. Paul said that we are the stench of death to them, aren't they? Didn't Paul say that? And, we, and then to, to those who are perishing. That's her reaction. She, couldn't, she smelled death coming from the Bible because of the way she was reacting. She was a Satanist. Anyway, um, so he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. So, whoa. Um, remember, I've had people, I think last class, ask me, how come it affects children? Why do they go after children? I don't know, but even in the passage, they went after children. Did you notice that? He was demon-possessed since he was a child. So somebody around him, and it doesn't say, someone opened the door for this child to be demon-possessed because it's happened since he was a child. So when people ask me, well, how, does, how is it fair that demons can attach themselves to children? And I say, I don't know, but I know it happens. One of the things I don't know is I don't know all the rules in the spiritual realm that goes on with fallen angels and demons. But what I do understand is that they can possess children if the parents are involved in the occult or someone around them is involved in the occult and it can start affecting the kids. That's all I know because I can't deny the evidence of what happens. And even in this text right here, how long has the child been like this? Since he was a child. Well, there you go. So this is why as parents, this is why as grandparents, you have to be extremely cautious about who you're allowing into your family, what your kids are are doing, who they're playing with. You have to monitor that. I'm not saying put them in a bubble. You need to monitor that. Too many parents take their hands off the wheel and let their kids play with anybody, and they don't realize the next-door neighbor kid is involved in the occult or their friends are involved in the occult, or they have an aunt that's a witch, a practicing witch. And they keep inviting the aunt over, and then all of a sudden, the kid is having all kinds of demonic uh, influences. So all I can tell you is, you need to be hypervigilant with demons and fallen angels, because they will take advantage of any opening, and they will attack the kids, which seems unfair to me, but they do it. Anyway, from childhood, and often, and, and often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. So this demon possession, uh, demons ultimately want to kill their host. They want to use the body for a while to do things, and then when they're done with them, they want the, the person to either kill themselves or be killed. Okay, And that's typically what happens in, in demon possession, is they have a desire to commit suicide many times. So as you can see, the demon is making him throw into the fire to commit suicide or drown him, either one, but they're trying to destroy him. So that's what happens. They're not there to help you, they're here to destroy you. But here's the key. 
But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. If you. So there's, there's some doubt there, and I want you to see in the if. It's the doubt, okay? So, so what happens is he saw the, 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 that the, the apostles can't do it, and so he's sitting back and saying, Maybe you can, maybe you can't. He's not fully there. Does that make sense? If you can, okay? Now, you and I have the privilege of of knowing this is God and knowing that Jesus has the power to do this, but he's not sure right now. He's not, maybe he is, maybe he isn't the Messiah, and he's he's not on the ground that you you and I aren't. So he's a perfect example of where you and I lack faith in the Messiah at some point, some category, some pocket, okay? And that's how you and I, if you can provide, Lord, I will step out in faith. If you will protect, I will step out in faith. If you will do this. Well, the if needs to be erased. There is no ifs. You either believe he has the power to do it or not. It's no ifs in this. If you can do, no, 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 can't do that. If you start the ifs, you don't have faith, okay? You have to have solid faith that he can do it if it's in his will, okay? He's not asking whether it's not in his will. He doesn't know the kinds of power Jesus has because he's not fully understanding who Jesus is at this point, okay? Jesus said to him, if, do you notice that? That is hilarious. you got to see the comical nature in the Messiah in doing that. He throws it back to him. If, if, it's not if, if I can do it, it's if you can believe I can do it. Now, let's, let's get things straightened out here. This is, this is, this is the, the humorous side of the Messiah. Because he knows this guy's struggling. But <laughs> it's like, What? But you know who I am? I, I think it's hilarious. I, I, I think this is the, the, the funny side of Jesus putting that back on him, saying, if you can believe is the issue, dude. Um, all things are possible to him who believes. This comes on the hills also. If you have faith as a mustard seed, you can move mountains. What do you mean? Like Mount Everest? Is that what he was referring to? He's actually referring to something even greater than a mountain. Most people think uh, they use the term, well, Jesus can move mountains. That's true. If I believe in him, he can move mountains. That's really not what he was talking. He's not talking about a landmass with a peak, but you consider mountains. It could, it, it, it probably, and best of to our understanding is the reference is to Mount Hermon or Hermon, uh, which they just had come from. They were just at Mount Hermon. And you're like, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, it's a mountain. Yes, true. But it, the, the term, you can move mountains, doesn't necessarily refer to a, a piece of dirt with a peak on it. Mount Hermon is where the fallen angels decided to cohabitate with women and create the genetic hybrids in Genesis 6. So Jesus takes them to the foot of Mount Hermon, 
And many of you probably have been there in Israel. It's called Beneus Falls. Uh, it's uh, Caesarea Philippi, it's called. And they're, they're, they're in the, the grotto is what they call the gates of hell. And there's all kinds of idol placements all over the, the, the rock formation. And then there's uh, water that comes up from the snow caps of Mount Hermon. And it comes, the water comes up and creates a river coming out of that. And Beneath Falls comes out of that. Well, anyway, he takes them there. And Jesus, uh, uh, obviously, Peter makes the, the declaration, you are the son of God. And the son of God statement is a, is a statement of deity. Okay, son of man is a statement to his humanity. Son of God is a statement to deity. So he makes that statement, flesh and blood has not revealed that, but why did he make that statement? Because he made it on Mount Hermon where the fallen angels decided to mess up the genetic line of the Messiah in Genesis 6 to prevent him from coming because Messiah has to be 100% human, right? And 100% God. So the fallen angels under Satan's guise decided, well, then if he, let's ruin the human line so that Messiah can never come, this anointed one to crush the head of the serpent. Okay, so when he says you have faith as a mustard seed that you can move mountains in reference to Mount Hermon, it's not the, 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 the dirt, it's the government or the kingdom of Satan is what he's referring to. That's what, so like when you go to Revelation 17 and I saw seven mountains and those seven mountains are seven kings. You know, and so what you understand from prophetic verses that mountains sometimes are used to, to refer to kingdoms or governments, the mountains. So when Jesus says, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can move mountains, he's referring to the government or the kingdom of Satan not a literal mountain. Even though the idea is coming from Mount Hermon, it means more than Mount Hermon, okay? Well, what do you mean I can move mountains? If you have faith as a mustard, what does that mean? What, is, what, what, would, that, what would that mean? That I can, I can move mountains or I can move the, the kingdom of Satan. What could he possibly mean? If just if you have just enough faith, you can move the satanic mountain away from you. You can leave the dominion, the kingdom of darkness, the dominion of Satan. You can leave his government if you have faith as a mustard seed in me. You can leave the kingdom of darkness if you want to. By faith. And you can move that kingdom out of your life. You can remove yourself from it. You see what he's saying? And everybody that's born again has been, according to Ephesians 2, removed from the kingdom of darkness and out of the condemnation of God. Because you had faith as a mustard seed. Just a little bit of faith. Faith in what? Faith in what? Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah who died on a, sins, on, on a cross for your sins, was buried, rose on the third day, and gives you everlasting life. That's it. If you can believe that, you can escape the kingdom of darkness. That's it. That's the faith that, that moves mountains. 
because you move that government out of your life. You move the satanic uh, kingdom from your life, and you're not part of that anymore. You're not part of that kingdom. You don't operate by that, those same rules anymore. In fact, now you're in the kingdom of the light, and in the kingdom of the light, you operate differently. They can't touch you. You're God's property now. Before, you were Satan's property. Satan owned you, whether you knew it or not. He owned you. But you become a Christian, a belief. Now you're in a different kingdom. Okay, so he says to them, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. All things. In reference, many times, in the context of how does one become saved? Well, if you believe in me, that can happen. Jesus already told the disciples uh, you know, we were talking about a rich man entering the kingdom of God, and they, they're, they're thinking, wow, rich people are blessed. That means they're blessed by God, and they should be uh, saved because of that. And that was pharisaical teaching. And Jesus says, no, no, no. All things are possible by God if, if you believe. And he was referring to salvation. So it's, yes, it's possible I can not only save you, but I can save your son from demon possession. I can do anything if you'll just believe that I can do it. So in your faith walk, do you believe really that God can provide? Do you believe they can protect? Do you believe he will be with you through it all to the very end? Do you believe all of those things? If you do, you can walk out and all things are possible according to his will, obviously. Obviously, okay? Bring him to me. Oh, wait, here we go. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So what is that? What is, what's going on with him? He's, he's admitting what we all need to admit. I believe you can do this, but there's a part of me that doesn't. And there's a part of me that doesn't even know who you are in many regards. I don't know the full understanding of who you are. And, and so I, I believe. And that's called the faith of a mustard seed. Faith of a mustard seed doesn't mean I believe everything. It means I have enough to be able to move. Enough to be able to cry out, help me. Notice what the guy is doing. He is understanding and he's using his mouth to do what? To say, Lord, help. So, so notice, he had, so faith has given him some understanding that Jesus can do this, and the faith has given him the ability to vocalize, I need help. Please help me. Deaf and mute demon. You see the opposite? It's a contrast. Deaf and mute I don't understand, I can't say anything, I can't confess publicly, versus I'll understand and look at my mouth. I call upon the name of the Lord to help me. I can, I can ask for help, I confess him, I, I publicly identify. So he's publicly identifying with the Lord right now. Help my unbelief, please help me. He's being honest. And that's what we have to fix inside of ourselves, the unbelief. We all have these areas, these pockets. And a lot of them are traced to our childhood. A lot of them are traced to our past incidents. A lot of them are traced to the experiences we went through. A lot of them are traced to our ex-spouses, all that stuff. Losses, death, 
All that stuff affects us in our belief. So here's the thing, principle. There are things we believe about God and there are things we don't believe about him. Okay, we have to acknowledge that. The key is to inject faith into those areas that we don't believe God for. So you gotta find your weakness. What do you not trust God for? And see if it relates to something in your past. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. But either way, the only way you can fix it is by the truth. And you have to say to the Lord, help my unbelief. I I don't trust you in this area. And then you have to search the scriptures and you search your past. And you'll see how God is there in in that category that you disbelieve him for. Well, you know, Brandon, I, don't think, I, don't, I just don't think justice will ever come. These people are never going to get what they deserve. These crazies, these lunatics, what they're doing to our culture, um, they're evil, they're wicked, and they're, they're going after, they're just not going to get what they deserve. So if you really believe that, if you believe that they're not going to get justice served to them at, by God, then what, what would be your only reaction then if you didn't believe that god will bring justice to these evil creeps destroying our world what what would be your reaction you take vengeance i guarantee you and that's what we're going to talk about in the prophecy update because that's exactly what they want from you they want to provoke you satan wants you to act stupid and do something stupid to get yourself in trouble so that you're now shelved and you're off the battlefield. You can't fight anymore. So he wants you to do something stupid. So let them goad you, but don't react. Do you believe God will bring justice to them? Yes, you do. Then that keeps you from reacting. If you think God's not going to do it, then you're going to take things in your own hands and you're going to do it. And you're going to fall into the trap. They're setting a trap for you now. You realize this. They're setting a trap for you. Satan is setting a trap for you. He wants, you to, he wants to rub the LGBT mafia and the transgender mafias right in your face and right in your kid's face so that you will react. That's what he's doing. And he's going to push it down your throat and push it till he can get a reaction from you. And if you come out fighting and taking vengeance and going crazy, they win. That's it. Because as we know, I'll show you in the next episode, the government's already setting up a protocol to have to handle you and me. You're nothing but white Christian nationalists, all of you. It doesn't matter what skin color you are, they're putting us in that category. White Christian nationalists. And they're, they're the domestic terrorists that we have to take care of. That's the trap. DOJ, FBI, IRS, all of them are setting a trap. It's true. So when Jesus saw the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. There's the power of God. Now, what's the key on this one? So let's do an aside about demon possession. When you're dealing with somebody that has demon possession or demon oppression, and the, in Jesus' name, formula doesn't work, 
okay? Then you know you're dealing with a different kind of demon that's deaf and dumb, okay? What are you supposed to do? Well, look what Jesus did. Now, you can't do what Jesus did. Understand that. He, being the Messiah, could do this, and no one else could. And he clearly shows he has authority over the demonic realm. And therefore, they, this deaf and mute demon obey him. Okay? They obey him, and they have to leave. Or, or, or if it's one or two, I don't know. But... Um, he commands them, and they follow exactly what he says. There's no formula that he needs to use, is there? I command you to get out, come out. Notice he doesn't, he doesn't use anyone's name, because why? He doesn't, in the name of Yahweh, he doesn't use that. In the name of Jesus? No, he is Jesus. Do you notice that he doesn't have to use his own name? So the formula, it doesn't apply to him because he is God. He is God, and he's casting the demon out because God can do that. And the demons have to obey him because he is their creator, okay? So keep watching that. I command you, come out of him, enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And that's typically how a demon comes out. They make the person convulse, they make them cough, uh, almost vomit, all kinds of weird stuff as they're coming out of the person. And he became as one dead, so that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. So he wasn't dead. He was kind of like knocked out. He's probably tired from what happened. And so he, there he is. Now, clearly, Messiah has exercised a deaf and mute demon. The sign, the third sign, has been given to Israel as far as what the Messiah could do, and he's done it. Okay. So all three messianic miracles have been ha has happened at this point. Okay. <clears throat> so this is interesting. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? You gave us the formula. And he did give them the authority to cast out demons, did he not? He did. They could do it. And that's why one time they came back rejoicing and they were all pumped up. And he says, wait, boys, 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 time out, time out, time out. I saw Satan fall like lightning. And why did he say that to them? Because if you get all prideful about the gift I just gave you and you think it's coming from you and you're thinking you're all high and mighty, the only reason you can do this is because you're doing it in my authority and the power I gave you. If you start taking it on that you're doing this, you will fall just like Satan. Because that's what he did. I made him the most beautiful cherub, the most beautiful creature, the wisest, the most intelligent, and he fell in love with himself and wanted to become me. And he fell like lightning. So boys, don't think that the gifts you have are indicative to you I gave them to you, and remember in humility where they come from. And so he, he rebukes them on that. But here's the thing they can't figure out. Okay, you gave us the authority, but we couldn't do it. Well, he responds, this kind can, can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Well, what does that mean? Well, I know what prayer is, and I know what fasting is. So what's he trying to say to them about this? It's, 
as far as demonology is concerned. It can only come out by prayer and fasting. A lot of, a lot of commentators miss this, actually. They, a lot of your commentators, because I guess they don't know, the, I don't know, it's always they don't know the Jewish background. It's for some reason, I don't know why, but just Gentiles. Uh, and, and I'm one of them. I'm a Gentile dog, and I wouldn't know what, what I know unless I had the training with Jewish background to understand what these things mean, actually. And it's only been over the last 20, 30 years of Jewish believers coming to faith that we've, we've kind of, as Gentiles, started to understand this better from a Jewish perspective rather than a Gentile perspective. So the Gentiles will interpret this, well, it's because they lacked faith. That's why they couldn't get the demon out. It's not that. They did have a faith that they had the gift and, be able to, and they could use it, but something else happened here. This, this kind, did you see the, the, the term? This kind, this is that meaning what? In contrast to the, the normal demons you're exercising, this one's different. It's a different kind of demon. And this kind requires something different than the typical formula. They, this one won't respond to you in the name of Jesus, in my name. Now, responded to me because I'm God, he's telling them, but it's not going to respond. The only way you can get this kind out is through prayer and fasting. And what, again, what do you mean? What am I praying? What am I fasting for? What am I asking God to do? If I can't personally exercise and I, uh, the, the, the demon out, then what am I doing? What's my only recourse? I've got to seek God and ask God to remove the demon. Because only God can remove this type of demon. Are you following me? Because humanly, I can't do it. Even, even I, I possess the authority, I can't do it. Because this kind, only God can remove. So then I, my my. My tactic needs to change once I see that the name of Jesus doesn't have any effect on him. I have to turn, turn to God in prayer and fasting and say and ask God to remove the demon from the person because only God can. And what was the point of the messianic miracle? When Messiah shows up, he will be able to do this one. But yet, the passage teaches that only God can do it. So what does the passage teach simultaneously? That Jesus is God, and only God can get rid of this kind of demon. So Jesus is demonstrating his deity in the situation. So if you have someone in that situation, or someone's messing with you on the street, or someone's, you know, we've been in uh, places like Jamaica, and, and uh, I've been to places in Africa, and there's people that, that follow you, actually. They'll trail you, and they have a demon with them, and they're there to harass you. So if you can't, and you try to rebuke the demon, and the guy and the, the demon keep following you, then you better start praying that God gets rid of them. And, and, and that's because that's you're dealing with that type of demon. So you pray to God, God removes them. And that's how you, you're to deal with that. Okay, but that's what his point was to them. 
This is the reason you guys can't do it. So if you encounter it again, you better ask me to do it. I'm the only one that could do it because I'm God. Okay. That being the case, there's some points I want to bring out. The, their problem was a lack of dependency on God to, what, uh, to do what they couldn't. They're still thinking they can't, but they can't. So here's what you have to do in your walk with the Lord. You take responsibility to do what you can do, humanly speaking. God's not going to do what he expects you to do. Okay, so you do that. And then you're going to come to the point where that's all you can do. You've done all you can do, and you're stuck. Okay, you're at the Red Sea. You've done all you can do. You've ran from Pharaoh. You did everything you need to do. And you're going to get into that situation where you're stuck. And that's where your faith has to kick in for him to do the impossible. And that's, that's what we talk about. Can he open the Red Sea? Yes. So whatever Red Sea's in your life, can he open it? Yes. That's where you have to trust to do the impossible. Can he provide the funds? If he led me to do this, and yet I don't have the money now, but he told me to do something, I have to believe the impossible. And what is the impossible? That somehow he will provide the finances to do what he called me to do, even though I don't have them now. That's how it works. I have to believe him for the impossible. Well, this is impossible. It'll cost $5.5 million. It's not going to happen, but we're a couple weeks away from moving into our building. So when we did it four years ago, it was the impossible. And he just said, just do it, Brandon. Just do it. Well, we're not going to raise enough money. Just do it. It's 5.5, Lord. Just do it. And we did it. So the church learned, learned a step of faith. That this is what he led us to do. We stepped out. And the fruits of that faith you're going to experience in three weeks. That's, that's what we're talking about for him to do the impossible. So I want to end there. I, I want to continue on this, this, this train next week a little bit to talk a little bit more about how to grow our faith. But you have to believe at that point for God to do the impossible. And if you do and you have faith as a mustard seed, you can move mountains. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for this, this, this time that we can study. Uh, I just pray that th- we would each have our own, our own uh, step of faith in our own life so we can see you at work and do the impossible. We need to see that. We need to live the abundant life. So, Father, help us in our, our, our lack of faith, just like that man asked about his son. Help me believe. Uh, we all ask that, Father, especially in the times that we live in. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.